Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. Great to have you with us. Calvary meets in the Joppa-Falston area north of Baltimore. If you're nearby, come join us. For all the details, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching. Well, happy Lord's Day. I'd like to call your attention to uh, this morning, uh, this morning to Revelation chapter 9. We almost completed chapter 9 this week. And then the last verse just punched me. So that's next week. So we're going to need two. Um, Let's see here. We're going to be picking up at verse 13. Now, so far uh, in chapter 9, the fifth trumpet and the first woe have come and gone. And now we are about to come to our sixth trumpet, which is the second to woe. So let's dive right into verse 13. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Um, two, two obvious, well, one obvious thought here. First, uh, Jesus is revealing to us his, his very purposeful and specific timing uh, that as much as man accomplishes or doesn't accomplish, as, as much good or bad that we do, God has prepared. He determines what is coming. And nothing, no, not nothing, can thwart God's plans. He is God. We are not. The second very obvious, or the second thing that, that, that's very important here is the very specific timing of these events seem to be alluding uh, to the, the book of Exodus, specifically chapter 12 and verses 29 and 41, the first Passover. And the way it's described in Exodus 12 is that the Passover was specifically designed to occur at a specific year, month, day, and hour. And so as we look at what is happening here, as it's building upon the Old Testament, what we can see is is that as the angel of the Lord swept over the land of Egypt, all the way back at the book of Exodus, uh, so here these four angels are released to sweep over the earth and kill a third of the earth at a very specific time. And specifically, just like the first Passover, those who who are not covered by the blood of the Lamb. So there's some very clear Passover themes behind this text. Verse 16. So the angels are released, and now out of the Euphrates, the number of mounted troops that come was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. Now, these four angels release an army. This army is made up of 200 million mounted troops, horsemen. Point being, this isn't just a massive army. 200 million soldiers is enough to go, oh no. It's 200 million horsemen, uh, which if we wrote this in today's language would be, and I saw 200 million tanks rise up. 
Uh, this, is, this is bad news for their enemies. Um, now, the description of these horse and rider, as you'll remember, uh, if you remember the first woe, the, the fifth trumpet, they're very similar to those. Uh, and uh, so I, I propose that these are also demonic beings like we saw in the first woe. However, they serve a very godly purpose. And, and we're going to read it. Verse 17. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates of the color of fire and of sapphire and sulfur. Fire is red. Sapphire here in the Greek is hyacinth, which is yellow uh, and red. And sulfur is yellow, but burns red. <laughs> Uh, so they're wearing red and yellow breastplates. And then it goes on to say, and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. That's kind of crazy. Uh, so the horses have lion's heads. Uh, and fire and smoke and sulfur came from out of their mouths. These three, fire, smoke, sulfur, all associate with the same thing, burning and fire. So twice we are shown these horses bring fire with them. Verse 18, by these three plagues, so out of their mouth comes a three, fire, smoke, and sulfur. Uh, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. Verse 19, for the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, and their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. So, this trumpet is twice as bad as the last trumpet, and the last trumpet was way worse than the ones before it. And remember, the locusts didn't bite at all. They only stung and wounded with their tails. Well, here these uh, horses, they wound with their mouth and their tails. And of course, the locusts didn't have power to kill anybody. Remember, they longed for death, but it did not come. But here, these horses do kill. Everything about this is saying twice as bad. Twice as bad as the last one. Now, in light of what we've just read, verse 20 is astounding to me. And we're going to read verse 21 with it, but that's for next week. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I could, but I couldn't. Did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. Wow. Just wow. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these did not repent. They didn't repent. This is crazy to me. So, three thoughts. Jesus is revealing to us in today's text that people who worship idols, this is really important. People who worship idols, according to God, the Bible, are actually worshiping demons. And it's not that the idol, that the statue, you know, I go into a restaurant and they have that fat Buddha there and he's got the incense or the cats waving hello. It's not that if you need to walk in there and go, demon, uh, you know, and squirt holy water on it or Mountain Dew or whatever you're holding. Uh, no, the, the idols, Jesus, the Bible just told us they can't see here or walk. They're lifeless. Idols are nothing. But when someone worships, or in this word in verse 20 means to pay homage to, 
uh, possibly even venerate, but I'll let you get on that road yourself. When someone pays homage to a statue of Buddha or whatever, or their ancestors or some false gods, according to the Bible, that prayer, that praise, that reverence doesn't go nowhere. It isn't wasted. Jesus reveals here, and John writes it for us, that these things are offered to lifeless idols, but end up being received by demons. Now, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 19. What do I imply then, that food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offered to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? The answer to that newsflash is no. So these statues of spirits of gods are nothing in and of themselves. They hold no power, but somehow the prayers, the praise that they receive actually are received by demons. Moses also writes this about in Deuteronomy 32. So here's what we need to, to gather from this. Revelation 9, because can't we in our arrogance think we're so much smarter than the generations who came before us? Can't we go, well, they just weren't as enlightened as I am. <laughs> Revelation 9 is not describing an old, ancient, dumb people. <laughs> we still don't know how they built the things that they built. Our mathematics have degraded and not gotten better. This is describing the future sins of humanity. This is describing possibly our generations or in six generations, the sins of modern, post-enlightenment men and women. Revelation 9 just gave us a window into the future, and in the end times, the world will be filled with idol worshipers and, surprise, surprise, demons. And this is true even today. You know, I, I sat there on the old Google machine, and I saw between Taoism, Buddhism, and Hinduism, about half the world right now is praying to statues. So, you know, we can get in our American bubble, can't we? And like, oh, this is kind of weird. Half the world's doing it right now. So according to the Bible, about half the world today is giving prayers to demons, to lifeless statues, and the demons take it for themselves. And it seems idol worship will only grow in the end times. So very clearly, all the way from Moses to Paul to Jesus to us, there is a very, very real evil in this world. This in part is what Paul was getting at in Ephesians 6. And I love Ephesians 6. Uh, starting at verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts, armies of wickedness in the heavenly places. Have you ever been on a walk or been gardening? I hate gardening. I hate lawn work so much. I am not designed to sweat in the heat. It's just not for me. <laughs> Thank you. I, someone's got to forgive me. I'll cook for the gardeners all day long. I, no problem. But don't put me out there, please. I'll die of a heat stroke like that. <laughs> but 
have you ever been out there in nature and you need to roll a log or move a big stone? And when you do, the earth is just teeming with life. There's all those bugs and ants and worms and spiders are having a combat, you know. There's just all this, the earth, the leaves are crackling and things are coming out. Everything's moving. Family, everything. Everything we do in this life, everything is like the underbelly of that rock. Prayers to false gods made of wood and stone. Those prayers on the other side of our dimension, of our perception, is teeming with life. Or living death, depending on where the prayers are directed at. And this isn't just true for evil. This is also true for good. Behind every prayer... Every Sunday morning, every time uh, you are kind or gracious to somebody, there is so much happening in spiritual places on the other side that we can't pre- that we can presently perceive on the other side of it. So much life. Jesus said, "What they will know you're my disciples. How will they know? How how will the world know that you're Christians by your love for one another?" Did you know? Down to how you treat your family is deeply spiritual shows whether the Holy Spirit's alive in your life or demons. And here in Revelation, Jesus is reminding us of just how spiritual things are in unseen places. On the other side of our natural world is so many things, both good and bad, both heavenly and demonic. And us believers, we cannot be ignorant of this. This is a reality. In, John, in 1 John 3, 8, it says, the reason the Son of God appeared. Who's the Son of God? Jesus. The reason Jesus appeared, the Son of God appeared, was to destroy the works of the devil. Think about that. Gee, don't we make, we make it all about us. <laughs> Jesus came to kill the works of the devil. Which is why when Jesus got near the demonic, what would they do? They'd freak out. (laughs) They'd scream. They'd screech. Tell me now's not the time, Jesus. And, And our heritage, being in the kingdom of God, our heritage is not just to be aware that evil exists. Our heritage, our calling is to then acknowledge that evil and then fight it. We are to not hide from the darkness. We are to fight the darkness. Paul said in Ephesians 6, 12, again, for we do not wrestle. He, he, he assumes we're wrestling. <laughs> for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against principalities and powers. I didn't know this, but, but that word for wrestle in the Greek is pele, kind of like the soccer player, you know? Uh, no relation. And that is the only time in the entire Bible that word is used. Meaning it is a very specific, precise, it's a surgical word for wrestle. And what that word pele does not mean, it doesn't mean to fight. It doesn't mean to contend. It doesn't mean to struggle. It's a word that means to grapple. Now, a lot of you may not know this about me, judging on my present condition, but uh, I used to train in Brazilian jiu-jitsu regularly. And that was pre-kids. And when you're grappling with somebody, 
Your face is pressed up against their face. You're, you're like in a twisted, evil game of Twister with somebody. I remember one time, you don't need to know this, this is TMI, but I'm going to tell you anyways. One time I was doing jujitsu with a guy who had the worst BO. And when I was done wrestling with him, his BO was on my body. You know how close you got to be to somebody to get their armpits smeared on you? It's not pretty. <laughs> Grappling is as close as two combatants can get to each other. You can't get any closer in fighting. And the goal of grappling is to do one of two, one of two things, to choke them unconscious or to break something on their body, which is why people tap to say, don't make me go unconscious or break my arm. Well, Paul here in Ephesians 6 says that believers are in a grappling match with the demonic that we grapple evil. And there are no taps in that fight. <laughs> if Satan has your arm and he intends to break it, you can't tap out of it. You better keep fighting. Which is why Paul tells us to do what just before the wrestling match, before the grappling match? Put on armor. You better have that armor of God on. Do everything you can to fight effectively. Which is why Jesus ends all seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 with what? To those who conquer, who step off the battlefield of life victoriously. Isn't a Christian life sometimes like a fight? (laughs) Jesus told us seven times, loved ones, that those in heaven are those who step off the battlefield victoriously. It's those with arrows burned and lodged into their shields. (laughs) It's those with dents on their helmets, with blood on their swords that have been grappling evil until God takes them home. Then have kept the faith. They will be rewarded. A godly life is a life of fighting. We oppose evil. Now, loved ones, This spiritual evil is not fairy tale. It is very, very real. And as every bit as exhausting as grappling is, and I was good at it too, let me tell you, but as every good, as every bit as hard as grappling is, from my experience, it is so much harder fighting a Christian life faithfully. I've been in fights on that map where I can barely breathe when I'm done. And I'm upset because everyone's smaller than me and sometimes I lost and I hated it. And sometimes it's 10 times harder to just say no to a sin. (laughs) And Jesus is reminding the church, us here in Revelation, that the demonic is very, very real and is in unseen places. And the fights that we are in and the exhaustion that can overcome us, there is a spiritual component to all of this that the church, it cannot be ignorant of. And until Jesus returns and eradicate evil, there will always be two kingdoms at war. We will always be fighters until the Lord eradicates evil. Now, secondly, something that has flabbergasted me this week, it says the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols. Isn't it fascinating that after all of the prophecies fulfilled, after possibly the rapture, after the bowls and the trumpets happened exactly like they were written in the Bible, 
after the 144,000, still, still the unbelieving world would not give up worshiping their false idols. They will not stop worshiping the very demons that are killing them in this passage. And because evil is real, you need to be aware that this is the trademark of evil, of demonic. Like a husband who abuses his wife and then expects love from her. <laughs> he, he seeks adoration from the one he's killing. This is, what, this is evil. Evil seeks adoration from the very people they're afflicting. And this is true with all evil. This is true with all sin. Think about heroin and drugs. Addicts are giving their life to the very thing that's killing them. Think about sexual lust. Lust outside of marriage destroys relationships. It adds perverse drama. It damages emotions. And inside of marriage, to those who seek lust outside of their spouse, lust creates discontentment, lack of trust, pain, sorrow, guilt, manipulation. The worst, I think, is sinful self-justification. You give yourself the right to be evil. I deserve this. Or they're not what I think they should be. And this is down the line with sin. All the works of the devil, 1 John 3, 8, all vices and sins have been designed to be served while they are killing us. And this is true even of little sins, if there is such a thing, I think not. But even our little sins... We, by nature, have such a hard time giving them up. You ever have a sin that's small and you think, well, you know, it's not a big deal. Yeah, you keep dragging it along with you. <laughs> if it's not a big deal, let it go. Well, I don't want to. Well, it's a big deal. <laughs> and even these things, these little sins, we can have such a hard time giving them over and repenting from them, even though they hurt us, even though they strain our relationship. And I hate to break it to you, that's how they were designed, by the works of the devil. And this is a really good moment to focus on that 1 John 3.8 text. 1 John 3.8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That word destroyed, I love this, means to loose or untie. Jesus came to earth to untie the works of the devil. This is a very clear picture of slaves being freed. Jesus came like Moses to free us from bondage to free us from the enslavement of the devil and his works. <laughs> One of the things us believers, we're in very much a victimhood culture right now, aren't we, in America? Everyone's a victim. Everyone has a reason for why they do what they do, and they're allowed to do it because I was, I was bullied as a kid, and that allows you to do whatever you want. My dad didn't love me, and you know, Whatever. Not that there isn't pain there, of course, but it's not an excuse for evil. And, and one of the things that we have to see, loved ones, as believers, we're in a fight. And that doesn't mean we can claim that we're victims and now have to, don't have to do anything. Your being freed from slavery means that you have also been freed for a purpose. The bonds that Jesus loosed were not for the sole purpose of saving us, but also to enable us to do good works to do good things, to do eternal things, kingdom things, to live a life worth living. Paul says, live worthy of the upward call. Jesus saved you so you can make something of yourself. 
Oh, make something of him, actually. But then they do something with yourself. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before and that we should walk in them. God's people have been freed to not just be free, but to also do godly, God-honoring good works. Well, we're no longer slaves to Satan, slaves to do evil, but are free to do good in the name of Jesus Christ through faith in Jesus. We've been given a new father, a good father. One of the things... We all have a story, don't we? Anyone have an easy life? <laughs> there isn't one in this room. Every face you see here today is a miracle. We are God's miracles. And we have been brought here. And when we're out in that world six days a week... We can be tempted to victimhood and to become useless. But God has not saved you to be useless. He has saved you to use you. And what what I want to tell you is, at the same time, if you've ever been in a fight or some sort of combat, it's exhausting. (laughs) And sometimes you can look on yourself and go, I am so tired and so beat up and so exhausted. I just, I need a break. I need to catch a break. And I don't know what God has for everybody. You know, I I don't. But what I can tell you is Jesus promised if we came to him, he would give us rest. If you find yourself like Luke 15, I read Luke 15 to my son last night and, and when the guy was eating, about ready to eat the pig pods. My kid was really locked in. And to me, it was such a reminder for today. It's like Christians can find themselves in those pig troughs sometimes. And we need to remind ourselves there's plenty of food in our father's house. We just need to run to him to rest and he will rest us and put the ring on our finger and the robe on us and the sandals on us and feed for a steak, the fatted calf. What a good meal. <laughs> I want to encourage you, if you're beat up, it's not because you're weak. You're in a fight. And sometimes it's exhausting. But that's not an excuse to sit down and say, I'm done. Oh no, run to dad he will restore you and get back out there. Now, the third thing, and this leads us to our final thought. Verse 20 says, they did not repent of the works of their hands. It's so insightful to me that God is mad, upset, and grieved that the unsaved did not repent specifically of the works of their hands. Loved ones, God brings us to repentance. He looses our, the bonds off of our hands. So we, of course, uh, may be free from the greater Pharaoh, which is Satan, but to also to do God-honoring, Christ-exalting, fruit-bearing works with our hands. Jesus emphasizes that he is not grieved here because they're not just saved. You notice that Jesus specifically points out he's grieved because their hands are still set to do evil. But if we want to go to the other side of this, 
But God's people, in contrast to this, all through the Bible, God's people have been set free to put their hands to good. For example, one of the very first mentions of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, I love this. This isn't just a piece of trivia. Is in Exodus 31. You gotta hear this. This is so good. God freed these people out of Egypt. He loosed their bonds. And then read this. It's Exodus 31, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called Bitzal El, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God with the ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs of work in gold and silver and bronze in cutting stone for setting and in carving wood to every good craft. Do you see the exact parallel between our passage today and this? One of the very first mentions of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is God giving his spirit to construction worker. And Why? Why? So he can become a doctor without borders? Is that how we're important before God? So he can become a preacher? Is that how we finally live the life worth living? So we can be a televangelist and wear a fancy suit and tell people to give money to this place or that place? No. (laughs) To use his hands to build. God has untied our hands, loosed our bonds to build his church. Paul lays out in Ephesians 2 that we are built, being built, which of course takes part as we build each other up. Jude talks about, uh, about, about us believers building the church, loved ones. In Revelation 9, we see that the ungodly are builders. Satan wants his people to be building. You notice how many institutions become evil? The schools, colleges, campuses, everything. Because Satan's a builder. And the things that that the unsaved they build ultimately serve the kingdom of darkness. But what we also see very clearly in the Bible is that the godly are also to be builders. To build and use our hands to work at eternal, fruitful, life-giving things. The Spirit of God has been gifted to us. We have been called by name. Our our bonds have been untied to not just set us free, but to also free us to do godly works. The author of Hebrews taps into this in Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, this is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the hope of the confession of our hope without waiting. For he who promised is faithful. I love that verse. And he and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The structure of Hebrews goes like this. Jesus saved us. Amen. <laughs> Let's be confident in that. And while we're on earth, let God's people gather as the church to stir one another up. The church. God has saved you to build up the church. To build up God's people. And the church is people. 
to strengthen each other, to encourage each other, to do heavenly things. And so here's the summary of today's teaching. Since the unsaved in their bondage build up the kingdom of darkness, then God's people who have been freed from bondage out of gratitude and joy for being freed are to use our free hands to build and fight for the kingdom of God. I woke up extra early this morning and God told me to completely change the ending of this teaching today. <laughs> Which that's fun, you know, no, no problem. <laughs> Loved ones, before the foundations of the world were laid, God called you by name. And you were prepared for this hour for this day, for this month, for this year. You were chosen before the foundations of the world were laid to build and fight for such a time as this. This is your battle. When God knit you together in your mother's womb, he knit you for this building, for this battle, for these people, for this culture, for this time. And the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church. We will win. Christ church wins. And you have been ordained, commissioned by God before he said, make the earth. <laughs> before that, he commissioned you for this fight. And he has equipped you to do so. God doesn't give you armor and a sword with no training. The Holy Spirit will help you. <laughs> and he will teach you how to stab and block. And when the enemy overruns you, he will teach you how to punch and kick. And then when the enemy pushes you down and you're rolling in the mud with him and you're cut up and bleeding, he will teach you how to grapple. God's people are in a vicious, bloody battle with, with evil. Real, genuine, grade A certified USD evil. <laughs> And we have been since the first century, and we will be till the last century. But the believer is on the right side. We're on the winning side. And every single believer in this room has been chosen and freed to be used by our Heavenly Father to engage in this fight. To do good and godly kingdom things. This morning I was reminded of Nehemiah's workers. They were building the walls of Jerusalem. And they were building the walls while they had their swords ready to fight the enemy. That's us. God has freed his church to build and to fight. To strengthen people and to fish for the lost. <laughs> and at times to fight in the mud with Satan. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. And so I'd like to close with a Bible verse from Galatians 6, starting in verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. You know what Paul just said right there? This is crazy. If you want to keep building for Satan, go ahead. But that's what you're going to get for the rest of eternity. Eternal darkness. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. And if you want to build and fight for the kingdom of God, you keep building and fighting for the kingdom of God, for it will end with God and his eternity and his life forever.
And let us not grow weary of doing good. Don't sit down. Now's not the time for sitting. (laughs) Do not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. You will be able to rest. That rest is coming if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. (laughs) Don't you sometimes not like words that stick out sometimes? You need to do good to everyone in this room and people you don't like. (laughs) And especially people that don't like you. (laughs) So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith, the people in this room. And so as we build the church and strengthen one another, and you need to be coming to church to be filled and to fill. And to use our hands for godly things. Just imagine before Christ grabbed a hold of you, you were tied. He has freed that so you can put him back together and twiddle your thumbs, I think not, so you can get to work. And when you get to work, because he freed you, he will reward us. He, we will reap our eternal rewards. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. Thank you that you changed the teaching at the last second. Thank you that. Thank you for your timing. Thank you for your plans. Thank you for your execution of these things. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. As all of heaven says, uh, worthy, (laughs) worthy of all praise, of all things. You alone are worthy. Thank you, God. God, I pray for those of us that are beat up, exhausted, (laughs) muds in the eyes, cuts on the face. God, we ask that you would restore and strengthen our wounded and tired brothers and sisters in this room. And God, if their healing in part comes from us, God, let us strengthen them. Open up opportunities for us to encourage one another and build up one another to love and good works. And God, we have a very real enemy who walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would equip us, that your spirit would equip us to not only build well, but to fight well. And when the time comes, God, teach us to rest well, (laughs) to Sabbath well, to celebrate well. So much we see, especially in the latter testaments, God, that even down to our speech is either demonic or heavenly. And Satan wants our tongues. And so, God, we pray that you help us to communicate outside of negativity. Let us break us, God. If, if, we, if we've learned how to listen to wonderful music during prayer time. <laughs> Is that you again, Bernadette? Okay. <laughs> God, we thank you for humor. We thank you for laughter. God, please help, help us. Help us to speak well. Help us to think well the way that you desire. If anyone needs special prayer or encouragement, we ask that they would come up here and pray with our prayer team. And God, please put in us servants' hearts to serve one another, God. 
Let there be no pride in this building today. And in Jesus' name, and all who agreed said, Amen. Let's stand and worship. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary Baltimore. Please keep in touch. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. Finally, if you're unable to come see us in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, keep drawing closer to God through the reading of His Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast.